welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is David Campfield, and I'm recording this in Chicago on Thursday, August 19th, 2023. And in this program, I want to begin working my way back to the topic of the reward and discipline of the believers. But to do that, I realized I need to deal with one or two more concepts that many believers have in order to have a proper mindset to understand the teaching of the reward and discipline of the believers. I went through a few of those already a couple of programs ago, and I'll link to that episode below. But as I've considered this topic, I've just realized there are a couple more that really need to be dealt with. And in particular, in this episode, I want to deal with the concept that we are going to heaven when we die as the believers in Christ. That That's where we're going to end up. We're going to end up with God in heaven. Of all the false teachings that have been around among Christians almost since the very beginning of the church age, I really don't know how many have been more damaging to the church and more damaging to believers than this false teaching that our goal is to go to heaven. It is just an unspeakably damaging understanding of the Christian faith. So, spoiler alert, what we're going to be emphasizing in this program again and again is that God's actual goal for the believers is that we would stand with him and cooperate with him to bring his kingdom to the earth. That's something totally different from going to heaven. Actually, when we see this, when we realize that God's goal for us is that we would give him a way to return to the earth and put an end to the evil situation that we see on the earth today, then our Christian life becomes so meaningful. And that's something totally, totally different from this concept of going to heaven. Now, years ago, I was a pretty new believer. This would have been back in the 1980s, and I was listening to Moody Radio, their uh, call-in program, and they said if you wanted to call in and talk to a counselor, you could call this number. And so I did that, and I wanted to ask them, because I was very clear, that's just not what the Bible teaches. What you see at the end of the Bible is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to the earth. Read Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. So it's obvious in the Bible, we're not going to be in heaven for eternity. We are going to be on the earth in the new Jerusalem. And I knew that even as a new believer, so I wanted to call and ask somebody at Moody about that and why people talk about going to heaven so much. And so so I asked the guy, I called in, the guy took the phone call, and I asked him, why did, why do people talk about going to heaven so much? It's clear we are going to be on the earth in the New Jerusalem for eternity. And he said, yes, yes, that's right. But when we talk about going to heaven, that's, that's just a manner of speaking. We understand we're not really going to heaven. We're going to be in the New Jerusalem. But it's just easier for people to understand. It was something like that. When I think about that today, my feeling is if you don't understand the difference between going to heaven and spending eternity with God on the earth, you have no business counseling anybody about the Christian faith. And of course, when I mention this, some people are going to say, well, that's, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. They teach that uh, man's going to be on the earth for eternity. Well, as I understand it, first of all, no, that's not right, because uh, according to their understanding, God is still going to be on, in heaven. And uh, with a few overcomers, and then most of the people are on the earth. The biblical view is that God is dwelling on earth with his redeemed people. That's the biblical view in Revelation 21 and 22. And it's so crucial for us to understand that as believers in Christ. If we think that the goal God has for us is to go to heaven, we can never have a proper, adequate view of the Christian life. But unfortunately, so often what Satan does when someone gets saved is he starts he comes up to them almost and he says, congratulations, you're going to go to heaven. It's going to be so wonderful. Let's, let's look up in the sky how wonderful it's going to be. The, the golden streets and the, there's never going to be any more suffering, anything like that. Everything's going to be so wonderful. You're going to be so happy there. That's the heaven drug. That's why I call this program the heaven drug. Because it's a big, big, big injection from Satan. And it causes Christians to go to sleep as far as their Christian life is concerned. So I would just about beg you, as you're listening to this program, please set that concept aside for the time being. There is not one ounce of biblical support for that view. And you have to understand how crucial it is to realize 
that we are meant for the earth. My guess is a big part of the reason for the confusion on this matter is that, of course, Jesus today is in heaven. And there's verses in the New Testament that talk about the heavenly blessings we have in Christ and how we should have treasures in heaven, these types of things. And so believers read those verses and think we're supposed to go to heaven to receive these blessings. But Jesus is in heaven today because he was, so to speak, kicked off the earth. Satan, you can say, turned Jesus away from the earth when he instigated the Jews to hand Jesus over to the Roman Empire to be crucified. In a sense, that was a big victory for Satan. Of course, in a larger sense, it was his ultimate defeat because he was completely destroyed on the cross. But at least for the time being, he has sent Jesus away from the earth. So Jesus is in heaven today, but that is not where he wants to stay. So that's why he told the disciples in resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the father has sent me, I send you. He cannot be on the earth today, but what he has is a group of those who believe in him and who stand with him to spread his kingdom on the earth today to deal with all the opposition of the enemy so that he can return to the earth. That is what he wants to do. That's what you see in Revelation chapter 19, the Lord coming down from heaven to deal with all the opposition at that time of the Antichrist and his army and ultimately in chapter 20 uh, with Satan himself. That's what the Lord wants to do. He does not want to stay in heaven. He is working today to establish his kingdom on the earth so he can return as the rightful king and the rightful ruler of the earth. So yes, today the Lord is in heaven. We're told to store up treasures in heaven. We have so many heavenly blessings, but the blessings are not meant to remain in heaven. They are to return to the earth when the Lord returns. So for sure it's right to speak of heavenly blessings, but it doesn't mean we're going to heaven to receive those blessings. Those blessings are meant to come down to the earth. Now I've used these verses before in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is taken up into heaven. Uh, Verse 9, it says, He said these things while they saw it. He was taken up, and a cloud received him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he was departing, behold, two men in white apparel stood by them, who also said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven shall come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Do you know what so many Christians today are doing? They're just standing around gazing into heaven. They've really, they've, they've gotten a huge injection with this heaven drug. And it just makes them so passive in their Christian life. So I would just say, I would just urge you, again, set aside that concept for the time being as you're listening to this program. And really let's look at the scriptures. What does the scripture show us about what God is doing today and what his goal is for mankind? And then I think if we see that, we'll have a much, much more solid view of what our Christian life is all about, what's the purpose of our Christian life, and how we can stand with the Lord for his purpose on the earth today. Now, to have a proper understanding of this matter, one of the basic things we need to realize is that today there is a great, great conflict in the universe. And that conflict is centered on who will rule over the earth. And at its root, you can speak of this as being a conflict between two very different wills. Of course, you have God's will, his perfect, holy, glorious will. That's the first will in this universe. And of course, it was because of God's will, according to Revelation 4, 11, that the universe came into existence. But for a very long time now, there has been another will that stands in direct opposition to God's will in this universe. And that, of course, is the will of Satan and his fallen angels doing everything they can to thwart God's will. They are in rebellion against God and against his will. So now you have these two wills that are in direct opposition to each other. And, of course, if God wanted to, he could simply snap his fingers, so to speak, and that would be the end of Satan. But he's not willing to do that. He does not want to deal with Satan himself directly. He won't lower himself to Satan's level to do that. What he wants is for there to be another will in this universe that stands with his will 
in opposition to the will of Satan, and he wants to use those who are standing with him against Satan's will to deal with Satan. That's how God wants to deal with this evil being and establish his will in the universe and on the earth. And that is a big part of the reason why he created man. Now, as I'm saying this, someone who's listening to this program may feel, well, but wait a minute, you're making it sound like God needs man. And my answer to that is, yes, that's exactly right. God needs man for the sake of carrying out his purpose. And this is another concept we really need to have, and it's going to be kind of an undercurrent of this podcast. Yes, it's absolutely right to say that in relation to the carrying out of his purpose, God needs man. And some Christians, when they hear you say this, they get all bent out of shape and just go ballistic. How can you say that? God is holy. He's, he doesn't need anybody. He's, he exists by himself. He could be joyful and uh, perfectly satisfied in himself. How could you possibly say he needs man? Well, again, I would say, as I said in other programs, that's kind of the Muslim view of God. That Yeah, he, he doesn't really need us. We're just here bowing down on the earth, worshiping God. He's up in heaven, distinct from man. And in a sense, it's right. In terms of himself and who he is, yeah, for sure, God doesn't need man. And yes, he, God could have chosen to deal with Satan by himself. So in that, in that sense, you can say he doesn't need man. But God has a purpose. God has a purpose. That purpose very much relates to mankind. On the negative side, as I've already said, he wants to, mankind to stand with him, to defeat Satan and to stand with him against Satan's will. On the positive side, which we won't get into too much in this program, he created man to have fellowship with himself, to have another being who was the same in life and nature as he is, who could enter into fellowship with God. So in relation to his purpose, it's absolutely right to say, yes, God needs man for the carrying out of that purpose, almost by definition, because he has decided that he wants to have man for the sake of carrying out his purpose. And obviously, he can't do that apart from man. And it's very interesting. In the entire Bible, after the creation, I, it's almost like you can't find a single thing that God ever does apart from man. He always wants man to cooperate with him for the carrying out of his purpose. And as I say, that's going to be something of an undercurrent in this episode today. If you really see this point that there's a very real sense in which God needs man, I tell you, your Christian life will be revolutionized because you're going to realize, wait a minute, I have to cooperate with God for what he wants to do on the earth. I have to give myself for his purpose. Otherwise, that purpose can't be carried out. And yes, you could say God is sovereign. Eventually, it will be carried out. Yes, that's right. But if we want God's purpose to be carried out today in our lives and through us, then yes, that requires us It requires our cooperation with God and with his will. And that will make us much, much more serious in our seeking of the Lord and our pursuing of him and our standing with him. And will go a long way toward waking us up from this drugging effect of this teaching about going to heaven. And I want to add a word here about prayer because that is one of the main ways in which we cooperate with God and in which we tell the Lord that we want his will to be done on the earth, that we stand with his will and against the will of Satan. And that really should be our view of what prayer is. You know, unfortunately, very often when we pray, what we're trying to do is to force our will upon God and tell him to do this or that. That kind of prayer is always very frustrating. It really doesn't work. Real prayer is when we submit our will to the Lord's will and say, Lord, your will be done. You have your way to work out what you desire to do in this situation. That's the way to the throne of God in prayer. So real prayer, as I say, is when we submit our will to God and stand with him for his will to be done in opposition to Satan's will. Now consider Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. He was such a man of prayer. You just have to appreciate this, this servant of the Lord in the Old Testament. You know, the Lord had already prophesied through Jeremiah that he was going to bring Israel back to the good land after 70 years. God knew what he wanted to do. And yet he was looking for a man to stand with him in prayer, to give him the ground to carry out what he wanted to do. Again, God limits himself by always seeking to gain man's cooperation 
for the carrying out of his purpose. That's what we see here in Daniel chapter 9. Yes, he could have gone ahead and done whatever he wanted to do, but that's not how God does things. He is looking for those who stand with him for the carrying out of his will. And that's what you see in Daniel's marvelous prayer of confession and repentance on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. And that prayer gave the Lord the ground to bring the children back from their captivity. Say in Daniel chapter 10, the next chapter, you've seen this tremendous conflict in prayer, where again, God was looking for a man to stand with him on the earth so his messenger could come to Daniel. He needed Daniel to join with him in that struggle. And then because of that, the messenger came to Daniel and revealed to him that great prophecy that we see in the closing chapters of the book of Daniel. It really shows us what real prayer is. It's standing with the Lord for his will to be done on the earth. And, of course, the ultimate example of this kind of prayer is in what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. That's where the Lord tells us to pray in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or your name be sanctified. In verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So here we see explicitly, the Lord is telling us we need to pray We need to stand with the Father's will so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the real cooperation with the Lord. That's telling the Lord, Lord, there are people on the earth today who don't agree with this evil situation that we see today. With all the mayhem and the destruction and the chaos and the bloodshed and the injustice. We don't stand with that. We don't stand with Satan's will for the earth. We stand with your will. We want your will to be done on the earth. That is really cooperating with God, man cooperating with God and standing with God and with his will and against the will of Satan. And what we're praying for is not to go to heaven. We're praying here for God's will to be done on the earth. That is what God is after. He is seeking to reclaim the earth from the power of Satan. That is his goal. And that's what he tells us to pray for. And that shows us our goal is not to go to heaven. God's goal for us is that we would reclaim the earth. That's what he's really after. So when we come back after the break, that's what we'll do. We will look at the verses that really show us what is God's purpose for mankind. Does he want us to go to heaven or is he looking for some who will cooperate with him to bring his kingdom to the earth? I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, If you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Welcome back. And just to review a little bit what we covered in the first segment, that again, it is so crucial for us to understand that God's purpose today for us as the believers in Christ is that we would reclaim the earth for God. And that's why this teaching about going to heaven is so damaging. But I know it's so deeply, deeply embedded now uh, in the professing church and among Christians. It's just so hard for us to drop that concept. And that's why I'm so burdened for this. And I don't know how to hit this in different ways to try to break through that concept. Again, I would just urge you to set that concept aside as we come to the Bible now and and look at these verses. It's so crucial to have a proper understanding of this matter. And if we don't see this, that that is what God wants to do on the earth today, we'll never have a proper, healthy view of what the Christian life is all about. So now let's go on and look at the Bible verses that relate specifically to this matter of where we're going to be spending eternity. And what I want to do is to first deal with those verses that people use to try to support the view that we're going to be in heaven. And after that, uh, we'll go on and consider the verses that show us that, in fact, we're going to be spending eternity on the earth. 
So the first verse to look at, and this is probably the most important one for those who think we're going to be spending eternity in heaven, is John chapter 14, verse 2. And this is, of course, the Lord is speaking to his apostles on the night he was betrayed. And he says to them, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And people say, based on this verse, so when when Jesus is up in heaven, he's preparing this big, huge mansion for us that we get when we die. We go to heaven and and we get this wonderful, glorious mansion up in the heavens. Well, sorry to burst that bubble, but... Uh, this The word mansion here, that's not the right way really to translate this Greek word, especially uh, in modern English. Now, the dictionary I looked at did uh, indicate that maybe in Middle English, this word mansion would have meant more of a dwelling place, not the, just a dwelling place, not a big, huge uh, mansion like we think of today when we use that word mansion. And that's really the meaning of the Greek word here. It means dwelling place or abode. In John 15, the next chapter, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. Now, it's a different Greek word there, but the the meaning is basically the same. It's an abiding place, a dwelling place in this house that the Lord is talking about. So, to understand what the Lord is talking about in this verse, we just need to consider what we see in the rest of the New Testament. Does the New Testament talk about Jesus up in heaven, building us some, some great mansion that we move into, some great house that we move into after we die. No, of course not. What it shows us is that he is in heaven, yes, as the ascended Christ on high, sitting on the throne of his Father, working with his servants today to build up the church in so many localities, so many local churches all over the earth. So the dwelling place here is not some big house in heaven. The dwelling place here, the house of God, is the church. And the New Testament leaves no question about that. 1 Timothy chapter 3.15, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son Timothy. He says, If I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is a great big mansion in the sky. Is that what it says? No. It says that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. It is the church which is the house of God, not heaven. So when the Lord speaks of preparing a dwelling place for us, he's saying, I am working in heaven to build up the church on the earth so that you can have a dwelling place and abode in me and in the Father. And so when you go back to John chapter 14 in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home within him. Again, that's the New King James Version. Make our dwelling place, make our abode within him. Then you go on to John chapter 17, verse 21. This, of course, is the prayer that Jesus prayed just before he died. And he's praying for his believers. He says, Father, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Ultimately, our dwelling place is in the Father. And the Father and the Son's dwelling place is in us. That's the kind of dwelling place the Lord is talking about here. It's not heaven. There's nothing in the New Testament about this house up in the heavens. He's talking about making a dwelling place in the Father's house in which we dwell in God and God dwells in us. That's the Father's dwelling place, not heaven. So for sure, this verse does not support the view, John 14, 2, that we are going to spend eternity in heaven. Now, you also have a couple of verses in the New Testament that some people try to use to say that when we die, we go straight to heaven. And I have to say, I really don't understand this teaching because if that's the case, then what happens in the resurrection? I, don't, I, I just don't understand what they would say about that. Well, you come back down to Hades and then you're resurrected or something, or you're resurrected from heaven. I don't see how you could possibly have that kind of a view if you look for a future resurrection. But it's interesting, you know, I mentioned before the phone call I had with the uh, brother at Moody Radio, and uh, I asked him another question. This was the other question I asked him about, how come people teach we go to heaven when we die? And he was willing to agree with me about we don't spend eternity in heaven, it's on the New Jerusalem. But on this one, he said, no, we definitely go to heaven when we die. And he used one of these verses I'm going to mention. 
But again, I just don't understand how how these people view the resurrection then if you take this kind of a view. And the first verse they use in this regard is, the first portion I should say, is in Ephesians 4, it's verses 8 through 10. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And this, of course, is speaking about the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And what some people say is, by saying he led, he ascended on high and led captivity captive, it's talking about he emptied out Hades in his resurrection when he rose up. He took all the Old Testament saints at that time who were in Hades and brought them up to heaven with himself. And now anyone who dies, Hades has been emptied out. That's over, uh, for the uh, at least for the saved people. So all the saved people now, when they die, they go straight to heaven. Again, I just, I'm just kind of puzzled how you could view this, have that kind of a view if you think there's going to be a future resurrection of the saints. But more importantly, this verse is not talking about emptying out Hades. If you look at its context, if you go on to verse 11 and 12, it doesn't talk about the saints being in heaven. It talks about the Lord's servants being on the earth. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, it says, shepherds would be better, some shepherds and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a full-grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this verse is saying, kind of in line with what John 14.2 says, Jesus is in heaven today, but he's sending out his workers to the earth to build up the church as the body of Christ. Look at verse 8 again. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So it's not talking here about the dead people going to heaven to be with Jesus. It's talking about living gifts to the body of Christ. These four different categories of gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. And this agrees with the whole context of the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And that's such a wonderful section. I'm going to read the whole thing. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Praise the Lord, saints. And he raised us up together and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But the key portion here is that it's saying that spiritually speaking, we have been seated raised up together, and made to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ. So this is a spiritual reality. It has nothing to do with the dead being brought up from Hades. It's talking about a spiritual reality that we as the believers of Christ today have been made to sit with Christ in the heavenly places, and that's why we are able to serve him on the earth. Because we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that's what Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about. And I have to say, if, if you really want to try to argue that the Hades has been emptied out and all the dead believers all of the Old Testament and the, all who died in the New Testament age are now in heaven, you should have a very clear verse in the New Testament that makes that case. Not some obscure kind of statement like this. this that's not the right way to interpret the Bible. Uh, so again, you simply can't use this verse for sure to support the view that we go to heaven when we die or that Hades has been emptied out. It really does not have any bearing on that at all. The other verse that is used in this regard, the other portion, is in Philippians chapter 1, as I mentioned before. It's specifically verse 23, but I'll read verses 21 through 24 to give the whole context. This is where Paul is talking about whether he should live or whether he should die. He says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We should all have that view sense, right? To live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. 
So the key portion here is in verse 23. That's where Paul says, if he departs, he's going to be with Christ. And so the argument is that because he's talking here about dying, of course, when he says depart, that's what he means. If he dies, he's going to be with Christ. And the argument is that since Christ is in heaven, that means when you die, you go to heaven to be with Christ. But again, the resurrection has not yet taken place. So this verse can't really mean that. Even though I do think it's a much, you're making a much stronger argument here than you are with the verses in Ephesians. It still can't really mean that. And it doesn't say that either. Paul does not say to depart and go to be with Christ in heaven. He just says he's going to depart and be with Christ. So you have to try to understand what that means. You know, there are different ways to speak of being with the Lord. Because we speak of being with the Lord even today. Spending time with the Lord and having the Lord with us and being in the Lord's presence. That's being with the Lord in a relative sense. Then there's also the absolute sense in which we'll be with the Lord in eternity directly in his presence. And it seems like when Paul says he's going to depart and be with Christ, he's speaking here still of the relative sense of being with the Lord. Probably the way to understand this verse is he's saying he's going to be with the Lord in a much higher degree than he is today, than anyone can be with the Lord today, even one like the Apostle Paul, because he's not going to have to deal with all the distractions, all the frustrations, all the hindrances that we have in this world, that we have in our flesh, that limit us in our knowing of the Lord. So in that sense, yes, he's going to be with the Lord when he departs, when he dies, in a much greater degree than he can be today. And all that's true of all the believers. Whenever we die, we go to be with the Lord in a much, much fuller degree than we are today. And yet it's still not in that absolute sense of being directly in the Lord's presence. And again, I would say this verse does not say that he's going to heaven. It says he's going to be with the Lord. So we have to try to understand that in the best way. And I think that's the right way to understand this verse. So again, you just can't really use this verse to support the view that we go to heaven when we die. Now, apart from these portions, I don't know what other portions people use to try to say that we go to heaven when we die. I'm just not aware of anything besides these three verses. And if you feel I've missed anything, if there are any other verses you feel argue for the view that we're supposed to spend eternity in heaven or that we go to heaven when we die, let me know. Send me a note. I'd I'd like to see that. Now, since I've shared about what does not happen to us when we die, just to be clear, I should probably try to explain very briefly what does happen to us when we die. And the first verse to look at is in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, in Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. He's talking here about the Lord after his death. He's quoting uh, from Psalm 16, where uh, King David says, You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. But Peter here is applying this to Jesus, where he went after he died. But both King David and Jesus went to Hades, which is the abode of the dead. Well, where is Hades then? For that we have to look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where Jesus tells us, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. So Hades, where Jesus and David and the other saved dead go after they die, that is a place in the heart of the earth. Now, of course, there's a lot of silly mythology that has grown up around this about, you know, what is in the heart of the earth. But this is not talking about a physical place. It's an immaterial place because according to Acts chapter 2, verse 27, what goes to Hades is our soul, which is not a material part of our being. But somehow, this place called Hades is connected to the heart of the earth. We don't understand it. It's a mystery. It's like how our soul, somehow this immaterial part of our being, is connected to our physical body. It's the very same type of relationship. But it's somehow connected, and it is in the heart of the earth. And the next verse we need to look at is Luke chapter 23, verse 43, where Jesus tells the thief on the cross who is saved, who repents and believes in Jesus, Jesus tells him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus, along with this thief on the cross, after he died, went to Hades, 
into the heart of the earth, but to be specific, they went to this place called Paradise, which apparently is a section within Hades. Now, there's one other portion we can look at in this regard, and that is the story of the rich man in Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, and specifically in verse 23, which tells us about the rich man. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So here, the, the rich man is in Hades, and it says he's in torments. And it seems to draw a, a distinction between his being in Hades and where Abraham and Lazarus were. So when you put all these pieces of the puzzle together, and it is a puzzle, it seems like what it is saying is that Hades is the general term for the abode of all the dead. And it is a place in the heart of the earth, but is, is divided into two distinct sections. The section of paradise, which is, is a section of great pleasure and enjoyment, on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have a place of torment, which is also called Hades, within the larger section, the larger place of Hades, I should say, where the unsaved dead are awaiting their final judgment. And a, a good illustration of that is that when you, uh, today, if a criminal is arrested, he doesn't usually go straight to prison, he goes to jail, which is a temporary holding place where he is awaiting his trial. And then if, at his trial, if he's found guilty, then he goes into prison where is his, that's his permanent dwelling place as long as he's, of course, in prison. In the same way, it's the unsaved dead are in Hades as a kind of temporary holding place, a jail where they are awaiting the final judgment. And when they stand before the great white throne, that is when they will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity as their permanent dwelling place. And on the other hand, you have the saved dead, like Lazarus, and like David and all the other saints and the New Testament saints who are in paradise, this very pleasant and wonderful section of Hades, awaiting the resurrection when they will be brought up from the dead to be with the Lord. Eventually, of course, first we go to the judgment seat of Christ to determine where we'll spend the millennium, but eventually we'll be with the Lord for eternity. Praise the Lord for that. So that's a very brief sketch of what happens when we die. But again, just basically trying to put some pieces of the puzzle together and hopefully that's a helpful explanation. So now let's consider what the Bible actually does show us about where we're going to be spending eternity. And for that, we're going to look at one portion of Scripture at the beginning of the Bible, one in the middle, and one at the end. And if you want to learn about what is our destiny ultimately, a good idea is to go back and see how we were created, and what we were created for. And, of course, that's in Genesis chapter 1. And I'll read verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we see God's original commission to mankind. And what is that commission? It is to have dominion over the earth and over everything that is on the earth. That is why God created man. There's nothing here about going to heaven. God created man to have dominion over the earth. And that shows us what our destiny is. It is not to go to heaven. It is to have dominion over the earth. As I said earlier in this podcast, there is today a great, great conflict taking place right now over who is going to rule the earth whether it's going to be God or whether it's going to be Satan. And in these verses, it says God wanted man to subdue the earth. And if you understand the whole Bible, you know that by this time, Satan had already rebelled. That's why the earth needed to be subdued. And so a big part of the reason why God created man was to deal with his enemy, Satan. God wanted man to have dominion over the earth. But of course, as we all know, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan came in and caused man to rebel against what God had commanded. 
And mankind has, for the most part, joined in Satan's rebellion since that time. But God is working to bring some people back under his authority so that he can fulfill what God originally created him for. That he finally will exercise this dominion over the earth, which will take place during the 1,000-year reign of Christ on this present earth. So when you see that's what God created us for, then there's no question about where we're going to be spending eternity. We will be spending eternity fulfilling the commission that God originally gave to us of ruling over the earth. That really settles the whole question of what is our eternal destiny. And you also see in Genesis that man was not only created to rule over the earth, he was also created of the earth. That's Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 when it gives us the details of God's creation of man. He says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So not only were we created for the earth, we were literally created of the earth, of the dust of the earth. We are meant for the earth, saints. That is what we were created for, not to go to heaven. So that's what we were created for and how we were created at the very beginning. So now in the middle of the Bible, I want to come back to these verses I mentioned earlier as in what's called the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus told us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. So here again we see God's desire for us after the fall, is that we would still stand with him to bring his kingdom to the earth. Not that we would go to heaven. You know, the Lord doesn't tell us to pray, Lord, take us up into heaven. He says, pray that the kingdom would come down to the earth. That the Father's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of prayer we should be praying today. And that's the, what should be the focus of our labor today. To bring God's kingdom to the earth. Later on in Matthew, in Matthew 24, verse 14, the Lord tells us that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Our gospel today should be the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of bringing God's kingdom to the earth. That is our commitment from the Lord's saints. Not about talking, trying to get people up into heaven. It's about trying to bring the heavens down to the earth to bring the kingdom of the heavens down to the earth. That's what these verses here in Matthew show us. Again, to have a proper understanding of the Christian life, it is so crucial to see this, that our destiny has nothing to do with heaven. It is about bringing God's kingdom to the earth. And if you don't see that, I'll say it again, you can never have a really proper, healthy understanding of what the Christian life is all about. That's why this is so crucial and why I'm so burdened to share this with my brothers and sisters in Christ because this this heaven drug has been injected into so many of God's children and just want to do anything you can to cause God's children, the believers in Christ, to wake up and realize, no, our commitment from the Lord is to establish his kingdom on the earth. That's what we're here for, saints. Rise up. Take a stand for God's kingdom on the earth. Take a stand that the Lord could have a way to establish his authority even in this dark and, and crooked and perverted generation, so that he could come back and put an end to this uh, evil age. It is really so. That should be our view of the Christian life saints. That's what we're struggling for today. Praise the Lord for that. Okay, so now let's look finally at the end of the Bible. And if there's any question left about where we're going to be spending eternity, this really, I mean, there's no way to argue with this. In, in Revelation 19, the Lord comes down to the earth. Verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And it goes on and talks about the final uh, battle there, Armageddon, where the Antichrist and the false prophet and all their forces are destroyed. Then in chapter 20, Satan is bound and cast into the abyss, uh, eventually, there's one last rebellion in Revelation 20. And then Satan is cast into the lake of fire and you have the great white throne judgment. And all the opposition, all the rebellion against God on the earth is finally dealt with and finally cleared up. What happens after that, saints? Look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, 
and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And again in verse 10 you read, And he carried me away in spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So how can anyone read this and still think in a serious way that we as the believers in Christ are supposed to spend eternity in heaven? How can you read this that way? It shows us specifically God's dwelling place with mankind is coming down from heaven to the earth. So you just can't say in any way there's any basis for thinking that we're supposed to go to heaven. Witness Lee, the the brother who taught me the Bible more than anyone else, he used to like to say so many Christians are going to be shocked because they're going to be going up to heaven. And as they're doing that, they're going to pass God on his way down to the earth. And they're going to say, wait a minute, what's going on? I think that's a very good way to to say it and to, to try to mock this idea that we're supposed to go to heaven. There simply isn't any way you can say that's our eternal destiny. And I know some Christians may still feel, well, we can't believe that because this is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. And I would say, first of all, that just shows how far we as the believers in Christ have gotten away from the Bible as our authority. Number one, who cares um, what they teach? But secondly, I would reiterate again that there's still a very big difference between this and what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, which is that they cannot accept that God desires to be one with man. That's why they deny the truth of the incarnation. And so their view is that in eternity, God is up in heaven with just a few of the overcomers and most of the people are on the earth in paradise, kind of earthly paradise apart from God. But in these chapters, what we see is that God very much is dwelling with mankind. Revelation 22.1 says, There's a river of life proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And verse 3 says, There will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Verse 4, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So here we see God dwelling with man in the new Jerusalem, on the earth. That's really what the Lord is after. What we see here, saints, is the result of God's ultimate victory in this great conflict over who is going to rule on the earth. After all the enemies are defeated, after all the rebellious ones in the, in the ultimate rebel, Satan and all his angels, his fallen angels and the demons are cast into the lake of fire. The whole situation is cleared away. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to the earth and now there's perfect harmony on the earth for eternity because this great conflict is over and God has won the victory and carried out his purpose to rule over the earth through his redeemed people praise the Lord for that saints that's our eternal destiny and we can just thank the Lord that our life has such meaning and we have such a high calling as believers in Christ to bring in God's eternal kingdom on the earth Praise the Lord for that. Again, I go back to that uh, that call I had with uh, the brother at Moody and just so frustrated. If you can't understand the difference between simply going to heaven and standing with the Lord for his purpose on the earth, you just don't know what the Christian life is all about. And I have to say, too, you know, I, uh, many people like to preach this gospel. You know, if you, if you die today, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? And, you know, you appreciate, you know, there's never a bad way to preach the gospel. And for sure you want to warn people about the dangers of dying without Christ and, and facing eternal damnation. That's for sure. But the, the gospel of going to heaven just is not attractive to people who were made to rule over the earth. You know, very often, you know, when that's portrayed in the movies in kind of a mocking way, you see these, these fat old guys sitting on white clouds and playing harps and just bored to tears. Nobody's interested in that. That's not an attractive gospel. But if you tell me I can stand with the Lord for his desire to bring in holiness and righteousness on this earth, to put an end to this evil age so that the Lord can establish his kingdom on the earth and return and rule the earth in righteousness, then I feel my life is so full of meaning. My Christian life is so full of meaning. That's so much higher of a gospel. Then the gospel is simply going to heaven. But unfortunately, today, 
So often when the gospel is preached, it's just the focus is entirely on the need of the sinners to have their sins forgiven and not go to hell. And they, they tell them you're going to go to heaven. No, our gospel should be the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel, it says, we are standing with the Lord for his desire on the earth today. The way I like to say it is that so often our gospel is concerned about whether people are dying without Christ. But in the New Testament, the concern is whether or not people are living without Christ, whether their lives are meaningless, and whether or not they are standing for God's kingdom on the earth. And that should be the focus of our gospel, as it is the focus of the gospel in the New Testament. Not that people are dying without Christ, but that they're living without Christ. They should be gained for God's kingdom. Then their lives will have real meaning and real eternal value. And now to connect this back to the topic, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, the reward and discipline of the saints in the coming age. I think you can kind of already see the connection. If we are those who pay the price to follow Christ and to stand with him for his kingdom on the earth in these days, there will be a reward when we see the Lord. But if we fail to stand with the Lord in that way, then instead of a reward, we, play, we will face a very serious discipline. And so this matter is very, very much related to the reward and discipline of the believers when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And so hopefully, as the Lord allows, we'll be able to pick up that topic again in the next edition of this podcast. But I hope this has been helpful in terms of clearing away this fog of the heaven drug and helping ones to realize that is not our destiny. Our, our destiny is not heaven, and we should never think in those terms. We should always realize our destiny is to today is to stand with the Lord for his kingdom on the earth, and then in eternity to rule over the earth on his behalf. And if we see that, if we're really clear about that, I do have a good deal of assurance that our whole Christian life will be very, very much uplifted. And praise the Lord and thank the Lord for that. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.